Amen. Good morning, guys. Glad to see everybody this Sunday. Um, may I have a clicker, please? Uh, so today we are continuing our studies in Sermon on the Mount. Um, and so the past like couple weeks we've been looking at Matthew chapter 5, studying the eight Beatitudes of different attributes or aspects like spiritual hunger or mourning over our sin um, or meekness that God tells us like, hey, these are good things, pursue them. And so we're going to start now in the next section of the Sermon on the Mount. And here we're going to see that Jesus addresses certain things that we can think of kind of more like weeds. Um, so he, he kind of like gives this next section and Jesus gives like very practical warnings and stories and examples of like, hey, these are things that are going to quench those eight beatitudes we just talked about. Like, these are things that will choke out the good things that you're pursuing if you don't deal with them. And so he gives us very um, helpful insight on how to deal with those. And so we're going to, I'm excited to, to jump into that today because even in our own garden, uh, the yays have discovered, I'm sure, and all their weeding that there's, we have so many vine plants on this property. There's so many of them, and I hate them so much because they look pretty, and they look like they're benign. They don't look like weeds, but they wrap themselves around the plants and the flowers, and they end up strangling them or choking them out. And we're going to see today that God is going to say, hey, that's what anger does inside of you. That's what lust does to your relationship with me. Like These are things that you have to weed out so they don't choke out the good things. Um, so let's, yeah, let's jump right in. Um, so today we're, we're going to focus uh, predominantly on anger from Matthew chapter 5. I encourage you to turn there if you have your Bibles. Um, chapter 5, starting in verse 21, says, You have heard that our fathers were told, do not murder, and that anyone who commits murder will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who nurses anger against his brother will be subject to judgment. That whoever calls his brother, you good for nothing, will be brought before the Sanhedrin. That whoever says, fool, incurs the penalty of burning in the fire of Gehenna. So if you are offering your gift at the temple altar and you remember there that your brother has something against you, leave your gift where it is by the altar and go make peace with your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. Um, if someone sues you, come to terms with him quickly while you and he are on the way to court, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer of the court, and you may be thrown in jail. Yes, indeed, I tell you, you certainly will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Amen. So, that seems like there's a lot of strong stuff in that passage there, right? Um, but I love like thinking about there's a few things that Jesus addresses here. Um, one issue that he addresses is our hearts. He addresses like the root and the heart issue of anger. Um, and the second thing he addresses is our speech in terms of saying to our brother, you good for nothing or you fool. He addresses our words. And the last thing that he talks about is our worship. Like how does this have anything to do with us offering our gift before the Lord? You know, because you wouldn't think about these things being related, but we're going to see that they actually are very important to be addressed together. All right. So the heart. Um, 
So Jesus, like as he's speaking to these people, he's speaking to Jews. And these they would have known and been familiar with the commandments of God, right? That says in the law, like in the Ten Commandments, do not murder. And all of us, like our, our propensity is to kind of think that if we're doing okay on the outside, that means we're doing really well. Right? And the Jewish people would have like thought the same thing, but that's why Jesus, he didn't come to get rid of the law. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And here he's going deeper and saying, hey, this is what I meant when I said this. When I said, don't murder, this is what I meant. Um, most of us, like, if you look at, like, I don't know, a jail that's full of people that have actually physically committed murder, like, most of us would look at those people and be like, wow those are the really bad guys. Like, they have special prisons for, like, the worst of the worst, right, in places that are secret. But the deception that is available to us is that we in our pride would think that we are better than them and that we don't actually have the same things that they do. And I would just say to you guys, like, some of us look at people and we're like, oh yeah, that guy's got an anger issue for sure. Like, it's very obvious on the outside that someone has anger issues, right? But it's so much harder for us to recognize that actually, like, we're all angry to some capacity on the inside. We just don't manifest it the same way. Um, but all of us have anger issues. It's a human thing. No one has to teach us to be angry. If you, like, how many people have kids? Did you have like did you have to teach your two-year-old how to throw a tantrum or how to be like, no, that's mine, mommy? Like, no one had to teach them that. Like it just came out from their insides. Like, where did that come from, right? And we like we all have it. So I would just pose it to you, like, whether you feel like you're an angry person or not, like all of us struggle with anger, and Jesus knows that, and it's one of the first things he puts his finger on and addresses. Um, the second thing is uh, that he shows us that there's a progression of sin and that actually like the fruit is murder, but the root is anger. The root is anger. And so that's why he tells us to take it so seriously. So James... Uh, chapter 4 kind of gives us some insight into where some of our anger comes from. Um, and before before I read this, I just want to give the disclaimer that I don't think that all anger is inherently sinful or wrong because we see that God himself is angry with the wicked every day. God has a perfect anger because he does not like the things that get in the way of love. He doesn't like things that impede us from loving him. He doesn't like us uh, he doesn't like things that impede us uh, from loving each other. And so, like, God, like, looks at that and he's like, I'm going to get rid of that. We're going to, like, we're going to address that. I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to move it out of the way and deal with it. Now, that being said, for us as sinful humans, like, most of our anger is mixed. And it's generally not pure. It's usually, like, affected by our selfish motives. And James gives us good insight to this in James chapter 4. Verse 1 to 4, it says, What is causing all the quarrels and fights among you? You desire things and don't have them. You kill and you are jealous and you still can't get them. So you fight and quarrel. The reason you don't have is that you don't pray. Or you pray and don't receive because you pray with the wrong motive, that of wanting to indulge your own desires. 
You unfaithful wives, don't you know that loving the world is hating God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. So I think that some of anger, not all of anger, but some of anger, this, this sinful kind can be summed up in, in kind of, or simplified in, you are getting in the way of what I want. You are getting in the way of what I want. And maybe what you want is something, like, good. Maybe you want food. <laughs> maybe you want, like, a career or a marriage or, like, all of these good things. But at the end of the day, some of our anger arises from someone or something else being in the way of our selfish desires. And you see this all the time in traffic. You know, like, why do people get so angry when they drive? It's because someone else is in the way of what they want. Somebody else is impeding them from getting from point A to point B, and oh my gosh, do we get angry, right? Um, I will confess, even just yesterday at work, I had, like, I had to humble down because I was trying to take care of my patient in the ICU, and the housekeeper comes in, and he's trying to clean the room, and... I'm trying to get like, you know, medications for this patient. The rooms are very tiny and there's not a lot of room to work. So I'm trying to take care of this person. And in comes the housekeeper who's like as big as a house and he's cleaning the floor as slowly as he possibly can. And I just feel my anger like boiling. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this guy's going so slow. I need to do this, I need to do that. He's in my way, right? I feel my anger just like, boom, out. like I went from zero to 50 in about two seconds because he was in my way. He was in the way of what I wanted, and I felt immediately after that the Lord come in. I felt the Holy Spirit come in and be like, back up. That's not okay. <laughs> like, you can't be that angry because he's trying to do his job. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, God. And I felt so bad about it that, like, actually, like, is that guy left for the day? I was like, have a good one, because I realized, I was like, man, I am so arrogant that I would get so upset over such a little thing, right? Um, but that's something that anger, actually, in a, in a weird way, one of the blessings of realizing and discovering our anger is we have to come to terms with our pride. I love this quote from Mike Bickle. Um, he says, he, he actually said that the Lord kind of spoke this to him one day, so maybe instead of his name, I should have put God at the bottom of it to give credit where credit is due. But he said, the measure of your anger is the measure of your unperceived pride. The measure of your anger is the measure of your unperceived pride. Um, and I think that this is very true. Um, sometimes, like, it's, and it's so hard for us to see it because usually we feel very justified in our anger. Because we can think through all the reasons why we're angry and why we have the right to be angry. And so we can quickly identify anger in other people, but it's really hard to see it in ourselves and to see it for what it is. Right. Um, the next thing that Jesus addresses is our speech. And so it's interesting that he, t he kind of identifies this progression. Like, he says, like, hey, actually, if you nurse, if you foster, if you hold anger against your brother, you will be subject to judgment. And then he goes on, he says the next step is after we've kind of, like, meditated on it in our hearts for a while because all of us are really good at holding grudges or, like, 
holding on to things for a very long time, right? He says the next step is to, that we call our brother, you good for nothing, or you fool. Like we actually speak words against our brother, whether that's to their face or whether it's not to their face. Like the next step in the progression of anger is that it comes out in our speech. So it comes from our hearts to our speech, and then eventually it manifests in our actions, right? So this is the progression that Jesus identifies. Um, and I love what, again, jumping back to the book of James, James 3, 8 to 10 says, The tongue no one can tame. It is an unstable and evil thing, full of death-dealing poison. With it, we bless Adonai, the Father, and with it, we curse people who were made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing, brothers. It isn't right for things to be this way. So here we kind of get some insight into, like, why is it a problem for us to be angry or to speak words against our brother? And the issue is that because they are made in the image of God. So actually, when we speak words against them, we are raising, we're elevating ourselves up in pride and in arrogance, but we are demeaning or lowering the worth or the value of other people to God and to man. And God says that's not okay. Like, that's not okay for you to speak words about them like that. It's not right for you to bless God and curse people out of the same mouth. That's not okay. Um, I, uh, so, and I want to, I want to take, uh, just a second. This is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but I feel like it's worth noting. I, so, again, I'm just throwing myself under the bus here, but when I was in high school, I dated this guy for a while that I just fell super hard for, right? Like, all the emotions. And then when I broke up with him, I was so angry for such a long time that finally, after like months, one of my friends had the kindness and the mercy to talk to me and be like, Becca, do you know that you've been complaining about him now longer than you actually dated him? <laughs> And that shut me up. That finally shut me up and I was like, oh, oh my gosh. And whether it was out of embarrassment or like true repentance or a mixture of the two, I realized like, okay, I got to forgive this guy and move along because that's just, that's just embarrassing, right? But here's the deal. A lot of us, especially in the American culture, we have this idea of venting, Right? And sometimes, like, we think, like, oh, man, if I can just get this off my chest, if I can just talk to someone about it, then I'll feel better. And there's a measure of that that's actually true because it's such a blessing, like, to have brothers and sisters in the faith that you can actually share your heart in and confide in and get the wisdom and the counsel and the freedom and perspective of God brought into the situation. Like, that is a blessing and a gift. But that is not the same thing as us just running our mouths about how upset we are. And the Bible actually has something to say about the concept of venting because Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives vent to all his feelings, but the wise, thinking of afterwards, stills them. And so it's interesting because sometimes we think that if we talk about something or if we complain about something, it'll make us feel free. But actually what it does instead is it further solidifies those emotions inside of our hearts and it opens up a door for the enemy to come in and build a stronghold inside of us. So instead of getting free, 
when we complain about people or we speak ill of people or of our circumstances or whatever it may be, we actually wind up in a deeper bondage than when we started in because now, now I'm just really upset and now I've vomited all my negative emotions on you that I just talked to, right? So Jesus warns us, like, hey, don't do that. The last um, element here that he talks about is how anger is related to our worship. If you, like, if you think about this, like, it seems like a very odd thing, right? That, like, God would actually tell us, like, hey, if you're offering your gift to God in the temple, at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Leave your gift where it is by the altar. Go get right with your brother first. That seems like kind of an odd thing, at least to me. I don't know if anybody else thinks that's like a little strange, but I would think that like if I were God, I'd be like, yep, come worship me, come give me all the glory. But God's like, no, if, if you have beef with somebody, if you hurt someone, you need to go and apologize first. And why does he tell us to do that? I think it shows so much about what God considers actual worship, right? Because... It's like, it's one thing for us to sing songs to him, but the Sermon on the Mount is actually how we test and walk out, like, do you really love him? And the arena that we get to express our love for God, or like, work it out, test it out, try it out, is our relationships with people. And that is both a, a huge challenge and a blessing, I've all, all rolled into one. Uh, but God, like, he makes it clear in First John that the way that we treat people is actually how we treat him. And a measure of how we love him is how we love people. And so um, God, like, very much values our whole hearts and our whole lives, our whole body in relationship to worship. He's not looking only for the gift at the altar, but he's also looking that when we deal with people that we are worshiping him in that and through that, that that's one of the ways that we express our love for the Lord is how we talk to people, how we treat them. Um, and the second element that ties into that is that sometimes, like we talked about, anger exposes our pride, but anger also can expose our idolatry. Um, so when we, if we worship anyone or anything but God, we can very easily become very angry, and we'll look at that a little bit. Um, I like, oh look, I cut off. Um, so this is a quote from Tim Keller's sermon, um, Healing Anger, and he says, we turn good things into ultimate things. We look to certain things to give us the happiness, significance, security, and self-worth that only God can do. And when we turn good things into ultimate things, when we love good things too much, more than God, that's when our emotions get absolutely distorted. That's when our emotions get distorted. And so um, this, this isn't just pertinent to anger, but like a good way to tell like when we have an idol in our lives, like something that like maybe is a really good thing, but we put it where God needs to be and only he can be, is when our emotions go like up and down with it, when it gets distorted. Um, that's a good indicator to us that we have put something or someone in the place that only God can fulfill. So, um, yeah, so I think it's it's interesting because when you, yeah, any, 
Anytime, like we see this, you know, I love giving the example of the Lord of the Rings movie. You see, you know, both in like Gollum or Smeagol or Bilbo Baggins, like they had this idolatry of their ring, the precious, right? And so they'd be like super, super sweet. And then someone comes to take it and they just turn into this like full out demon, right? But that's what we are like sometimes, like when we have idolatry in our lives. And maybe it doesn't look like that obvious, but maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your money. Maybe like you're like super like easy peasy until something goes along that costs you an arm and a leg and then, oh, or, you know, maybe it's like somebody in your family or even good things, you know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, like when our emotions go up and down with it, whether it's given or taken away, like that shows us like God is not where he needs to be. I love, um, just looking kind of, so as we think about how then do we deal with anger, how do we address this in our hearts, I love what the Lord said to Cain. Because Cain was the first one that we see, at least in the scriptures, that got angry, and then that root led to fruit. He got angry to the point that he murdered his brother Abel, right? Um, and it's so interesting to me to see the interaction that the Lord has with Cain, because you can see in this passage, like, God really loved Cain, like he's trying to help Cain in this situation. Like he's trying to tell Cain, like, hey, he says, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So I just, I can't help but think that, like, in in all of us, you know, the Lord, like, is, is telling us, like, to some capacity, like, hey, like, this thing is trying to rule over you. It's trying to gain a foothold in your life and in your heart, but you actually have to rule over it. You have to let my spirit rule over this so this thing doesn't control you. Um, and that like same invitation and encouragement is open to us today that we would address anger quickly um, and not let it build up into to a stronghold in our hearts. Um, Romans 12, 16 to 21, I think, gives us good insight into how do we, how then if we have anger, because we've established that. All of us do. If you don't, you are much holier than I. I'm like, bless you. Um, but it says in Romans, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we're going to pull out just a couple of practicals there. Um, so the first thing that Jesus like exhorts us to do in regards to anger is to deal with it quickly, like in every stage, but especially like the baby stage. And then he warns us, hey, if it starts coming out of your mouth, then you're really in a dangerous spot. Um, so he, he warns us, hey, do it, deal with it quickly. 
And this is something that sometimes, like, we're like, well, time heals all things. Like, you know, like, it takes time to forgive, takes time to do this, takes time to do that. Actually, I would argue that time doesn't heal anything. But if anything, the longer you wait, the harder it is to get over something. But the Lord says, hey, don't let that grow and fester and mold in your heart. Deal with it now. Don't wait. Deal with it now. Before you come to the altar, deal with it quickly. Um, the second thing is to, to remember, like, as we are, you know, what, whether it's somebody actually legitimately wronged you or maybe they just offended you because you're having a bad day, like, whether it's a real or perceived offense, we all have to remember what we owe the Lord and how much he forgave us. Because then we will not be as harsh with other people. Um, Romans 13 says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Because of the way that Christ has loved us, we're actually indebted to love. Like we have a, a debt to love. Like we are obligated and indebted, not because of what any person did for us, but because of what the Lord did for us. We are obligated and indebted to love. Um, how else can we overcome anger? Um, Romans talks about, hey, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Like, bless them. And so, like, we're supposed to walk in the opposite spirit of what we feel like doing. So, like, maybe somebody's making you really mad, bless them. Like, serve them. Do something for them. Why? Because as you walk in that action, like, it's so hard for your heart to, like, stay offended. And it actually, like, gives us a measure of freedom when we bless our enemies or when we, like, pray for them, when we do good for them. It brings, maybe it doesn't do anything for them. Maybe they're still, like, you know, kind of going on their own path or their own hardness of heart. But it does something for our hearts. And the Lord knows that. And so he, he tells us, hey, this is, like, actually, like, helpful for you to do when you're feeling this way so that this doesn't get lodged in your heart. Um, oh, this got cut off. Uh, but the, so the last aspect here, I think that is um, probably one of the, the most helpful, at least for me personally, is to recognize and fear God as our judge. Um, because the Bible like talks about how vengeance belongs to God. And I love that because it doesn't say vengeance is wrong, don't ever want it, but it actually says like vengeance belongs to God. Like God is longing to avenge his beloved and his people, but we're commanded, hey, don't avenge yourselves. Don't avenge yourselves, like leave that to him because he is perfect and he can deal with it in a perfect justice in a way that if you try to get revenge, it's only going to destroy you. It's only going to destroy your heart. So leaving vengeance in the hands of God and trusting him that if we have been wronged, like, that he will deal with it. That he will avenge us, like, whether it's on the cross through the blood of Jesus or whether it's on judgment day, that, like, God will take care of it. Like, trusting that he is a righteous judge and that we are not able, generally speaking, to, to write fully dole out vengeance or to rightfully dole out judgment without mixture in our own hearts. Um, so I want to invite uh, Priscilla up and we're going to just spend some time just like asking God uh, just to come into those some of those areas. 
So I want us to um, kind of go back to, yeah, just the things that the Lord addresses in this passage. So the heart, um, our speech, and our worship. Um, so there's a few things that I just want to encourage us to pray through this morning. Um, and one is just like giving our hearts over to the Lord. Like those areas where maybe we have anger or bitterness or unforgiveness, like really just asking God, like, God, like give me grace to give all of my heart to you. To not let anything take root in me that will choke out these good things. So asking the Lord, like, God, help me. Like, maybe you're angry, you know, maybe you're frustrated at work with your boss or with your family. Like, families are the biggest arena that we have to practice this in. Jesus says, hey, it's your brother. Like, it's the brother that's used in this example because that's the hardest place, is the home. Um, so just inviting the Lord into any of those areas in our heart where we may have harbored anger. The second thing is just recommitting to God, like, God, like, I want to have grace on my lips. I want to be encouraging and edifying in my speech. Would you forgive me for ways that I have torn others down with my words and not built them up? Um, or ways that I've actually, like, sinned against you because I've spoken against someone that's made in your image. Like, God, like, help my speech. Um, and the last thing is just giving our worship to God. Like, saying, God, like, if I have anything in my heart that, like, I've put in a place that really only you can be in, like, would you show me and would you give me grace to, like, rightly reorder my heart, my priorities, my life around you with you in the center? Um, so I want to spend, like, just a few minutes, if you can actually, if you can lead us in a song, and then we'll break off into small groups just to pray for each other. But I want to encourage you guys, like, just to pick one of these things, just to ask the Lord for grace in as we just bring it back to Him. So God, I love you. Do you guys stand with us? I love
God, come and search us and know our hearts, God, that we would rightly worship you. Listen, and I love to 